Welcome to Gardening Naturally with Jeff Ferris. Call or text Jeff now with your gardening and landscape questions. 512-836-0590. Hey, good morning, gardeners. Uh, Lovely Sunday morning it is. A super hot Sunday it's going to be. But uh, it's Texas and uh, July. That's what happens in Texas in July. It gets hot. And we are going to be very warm for quite some time now. Uh, Still no rain. No rain at all. And um, we really need it. We're, We're behind by about five inches right now. That's for the year. We're also a little bit behind for the months. We're hoping for the best. Now, um, what are you doing today in your garden? Well, yesterday, my wife picked a beautiful, perfect, big Bertha red bell pepper, consistently red, firm all the way around the pepper, six inches long, at least four inches in diameter. I mean, it easily rivaled any grocery store you go to and pull out a a red bell pepper from the bin. It was gorgeous. Now, I got another one out there growing on the same plant, full of holes in it because the birds found it attractive. So... Pick one, let the birds eat one. That's a, that's okay with me. That's okay with me. These, uh, the bell peppers I got, I got Big Bertha. I got seed from, I think it was Johnny's. <clears throat> but it turns out that it was a reliable producer and is doing okay in this heat. Now, I say okay. It will really start producing when the weather cools down again. What we do then is we harvest the peppers, dice them, spread them out on a piece of parchment paper on a big cookie sheet, and freeze them. Then vacuum seal them, and we will have fresh bell pepper for whatever we're making throughout most of the winter. Pretty fair trade there. Uh, the pepper is doing the peppers are doing really well. I actually have three big Bertha bell peppers growing, two in the ground and one in a container, and uh, they're they're doing fine. It's so hot I don't expect them to set any fruit for the rest of the summer. It's just too hot. But when it cools off again, I'm hoping to be knee deep. In these gorgeous bell peppers, the the variety is amazing. Now, the rest of today is uh, spreading sulfur day. I have spread sulfur in my backyard as a way to keep the chiggers out, and it has worked very well. <clears throat> With this kind of heat and a lack of rain, it's still pretty much present. But it's time to refresh it. It's been six weeks or more, maybe as many as eight weeks, 
since I last spread uh, the granular sulfur in my backyard. I have one of those green drop spreaders that you push and uh, I can adjust it to the rate at which it falls. And I'm gonna go out and do that today to redo the backyard. If you're wondering, I got a 25 pound bag of sulfur um, at Ace Hardware of all places. There are, uh, your local nursery may carry it. You may find it even in a big box store, but it can be effective at chasing away a lot of bugs, not just chiggers. So that's the only ones I'm really concerned with. I hate those buggers, but uh, we'll be getting fresh sulfur out there. Hopefully it'll freshen up and strengthen the barrier that it makes and chases the bugs away. And if we ever get rain, it will dissolve into the soil, which is a good thing because when it dissolves and breaks down in the soil, it will produce sulfuric acid. Now, don't get excited. We're talking just this, maybe a couple of molecules of sulfuric acid, but that will help acidify the soil. And again, we're talking the difference between 20 sheets of paper and maybe 25 sheets of paper in terms of the, uh, the acidifying quality of it. But uh, the plants love it. My turf will appreciate it. It will look good. It will really help it look good. And, uh, it doesn't take much effort. Sulfur goes pretty far. We got a 25 pound bag and they recommend about 5,000 square feet of coverage. So we're only gonna use a small part of it because our backyard is not 5,000 square feet. We will spread it out. Whatever is left is going to stay in the spreader and maybe we'll touch up areas or maybe we'll go sprinkle it over places that we tend to walk around in, like around our bird bath, because you got to stand there and fill them. And when you are filling the bird bath, the chiggers are having a feast. They want to just attack you like crazy. So we're going to keep a keep it around the bird bath in an effort to keep the bugs down. Sulfur doesn't really smell when you use it as a, a soil topping uh, to create that barrier. The bugs can smell it and they can definitely taste it and don't like it. But uh, you won't, or your guests won't notice the scent of it. And it will repel more than just chiggers. And that's a good thing. That's, that, that is a good thing. That is something that we're looking forward to. In the meantime today, I'm going to kind of just simply wander around the garden because we are getting more hummingbirds than we normally do. Of course, all that really means is that 
we get to watch them do their midair battles and their little beeps as they go by each other. But we put up a hummingbird feeder, and that was a waste of time. I mean, the hummingbird found it, sat on it, got a drink once, and it was like, nah, you got Turk's cap. I don't need this stuff. Our Turk's cap, of course, is always, always got hummingbirds coming to it. I have uh, red salvia. They love that, too. I have uh, a flame... Flame acanthus. Oh my gosh, is that covered with red flowers? They could spend all day there. There are so many flowers, they just one at a time. That's a beautiful plant that we really haven't given it a lot of attention. The only thing we did is it was growing and it wasn't blooming because there was a big tree it was under. And we planned on moving it, but instead we removed the tree. Now it is huge and covered with flowers. It has been a really stellar plant. So between the flame acanthus, the salvias, and the turk's cap, didn't make any sense for me had to have a hummingbird feeder. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. We're up against a break. We'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Welcome back, everybody. Um, gotta, gotta go to the phone here. This is Kevin. Kevin, what can we help you with? Good morning. I'm calling today about um, seaweed and spinosad. Um, if you make seaweed up from a concentrate, uh, what is the um, you know shelf life of it? Do you have to use it up that day, or can you does it last for you know a while or or what? It's recommended. Excuse me. It's recommended by most of the manufacturers to use it that day. About. 12 hours, okay? Oh, okay? The concentrate, on the other hand, can last, if it's kept inside where it's not out in the heat, could last as long as five years. Ah, now, okay. Each, each vendor does it a little differently, and if you're really concerned, you might give them a call and say, hey, I'm using this, how long does it last? Okay. But they, when you do concentrate and you dilute it so you can spray it or drench, it has a very short shelf life. Okay. Say what, that day. Okay. Okay. What about um, spinosad? Is that kind of the same thing? Yes, actually it is. Spinosad is actually uh, fermented proteins that do the work. When it is a concentrate, it will last, I would say three years is probably more likely for those kind of pesticides. If you make it up to use it, meaning you dilute it in water, you want to use it that day. Mm. Okay, 
Okay. Oh, one point about you, you spoke to someone last week about a a text uh, a redbud tree and the fact that it was you know kind of wanted to be multi trunked and I was going to um, say that I was at a gardening store uh, and I bought a Texas redbud tree. Um, it was kind of expensive. It was like over $200, so I didn't really know whether I wanted to spend the money, but it was like 20 gallon or whatever, so I went on and bought it because I wanted a redbud tree. And that one does not want to, to be multi-trunked. It, it's definitely a single trunk. I've never had a problem with it, um, you know, trying to grow another trunk. Um, it's The leaves are just are beautiful, and I'm I'm really... Uh, glad that I went on and bought it because I'd seen some and kind of monitored them around, you know, in different places. And I said, "Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go in and get a Texas redbud." And so I'm I'm really uh, really happy with it. Well, Kevin, one of the things about that have you ever been in a nursery and you see a braided plant? You know where they take the trunks and they braid them? Yes. Great myrtles, usually. Somebody has to sit there and do that. That's part of the contribution to the cost of the plant. Single trunk trees, whether there's no distinguishing between a Texas redbud or a Mexican or an Oklahoma, the root is redbud. That's what the plant is. And someone worked hard to try to keep that tree as a single uh, trunk, and that's part of the cost of what you paid for. I will oh, bet you over okay. time. I will okay. bet you over time, it will try to put up new trunks. Okay, okay. Well, that explains that. Now, all you have to do is be aware when it does, because it's not going to like suddenly pop out a two-inch diameter trunk that's six feet tall. If you're watching it you are going to still have some maintenance to trim those shoots off to try to keep it to maintain a single trunk. Mm, okay, okay, okay. Well, thank you very much. You bet. Thanks for the call, Kevin. Yeah, folks, um, even oak trees can have a tendency to send up multiple trunks. <clears throat> You need to know what the plant is when you go to purchase it. You can find single trunk crepe myrtles. That's not their natural, that's not their natural design. They want to be a multi-trunk. Now you can get 30 foot tall ones or six foot tall ones, but if you need a single trunk tree, make sure that when you go to get that tree and where you're going to put it, that in fact, you purchase something that can be a single trunk. If you were to pick up a chinkapin oak, that's probably pretty easy. They're going to be sold as a single trunk tree. If you pick up a desert willow, no guarantees. They also can be multi-trunk, be very pretty as a multi-trunk. Red buds, um, 
uh, buckthorns, things like that, their natural habit is multi-trunked. Constantly cutting off prunes, uh, shoots on the side is possible, but you have, you have maintenance you, you will have to do. You will have to be dedicated to recognizing, whoop, that shoot, don't want it, cut it off. So that's going to be work on your part. <clears throat> it's easier to find something that has the habit you want than to force something to have the habit you want. Now, this is not just about multi-trunks. You put in photinias. I don't recommend them. You put in photinias and you buy the little one-gallon ones and you tell yourself, I'm going to keep them four feet tall. No, you're not. <laughs> photinias can grow to 30 feet. You will be spending all your time coming out there every weekend trimming them. And it will reflect in the plant because it makes them more susceptible to diseases. So your plants will be the height you want, but won't look very good. So if you need something that's four foot, find something that only grows to four feet. You need something that's going to be a single trunk. Find a plant that grows as a single trunk. We can really manipulate nature. That doesn't make it a good thing. Topping a tree, bad practice, because you suddenly want your tree to only be eight foot tall, and you've got a tree that could be 30 feet tall. No, not gonna work, not gonna work. Not good for the tree. You're gonna be doing a lot of maintenance. So look for a plant that it's the place you want to plant it. Don't just pick one and figure you can force it at that point. The tree will, the plant will not like you for that. And after time, either it will get diseased or it could possibly die on you. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. We're coming to the bottom of the hour. We're going to break for the news. We'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Welcome back, everybody. Um, turning out to be a decent, decent day, a little, well, fairly strong breeze. Sun's coming up. Going to be a hot one. Get out there and get your work done now, okay, while it's still cool. And look, it is early morning, and you're going to go out there and you're going to go, wow, it is cooler. The wind's blowing. The sun doesn't get affected by temperature. Don't forget your sunscreen. Don't forget your hat, your gloves, things like that, so that you're not winding up with sunburn or as I found out recently, lots of spots of skin cancer. Now, those of us who are older didn't learn all of this 
and we spent our childhoods uh, bathed in baby oil so that we could get that really nice bronze tan. That was our downfall. That was something that we shouldn't have done. And you can still get that bronzed look you want, but you can also do it using uh, sun shield, sun lotion, suntan uh, products. Everything that keeps the uh, SPF factor nice and high. 30 would be a minimum, 50 would be better. So protect yourself because um, you, you can't undo it. You can't like, oops, I can't go out tomorrow and stay in the shade all day and not get any sun. By the way, even in the shade, the UV light is there. So be careful. Lots of water, folks. Lots of water. In this hot temperature, you want to be careful with it. And uh, don't forget, you need it. Let's, uh, someone texted me. This is a good text. How do you, what about growing fresh turmeric spice? Congratulations, it's something that you can do. You can grow turmeric in the ground in our environment. <clears throat> Basically zone eight and above. It needs eight to 10 months of growing and it'll be a pretty plant. It'll look a lot like ginger. It'll be a pretty plant and after that eight to 10 months, you should have fresh rhizomes that you can pull up, dry them, powder them, slice them, dice them, do whatever you want to do to the turmeric. It's a very healthy spice, relatively easy to grow, cannot handle a freeze. So if you do it in a container, it makes it a lot easier to get to for one. You can do it in a container. When it gets to be the winter months, you'll see it's still growing. It's not like it grows, makes a rhizome, that's it. Plant's done for. It will continue to grow. So what you can do is you can bring that in. It's an attractive plant. Either you put it in an attractive pot in the first place or you get a cash bow. So when you bring it inside, you set the growing container in it. And you can let the plant grow inside and continue to do so. Move it back out once we're past our freeze dates. They tend to be water hogs. They will do better when it's good and hot and when they get plenty of water. So if you can accommodate them, you can grow it yourself. And you can head out to... Uh, you can head out to, I don't know, HEB, Whole Foods, Central Market, and they will have turmeric rhizomes in the bins. If you can find one that has a little bit of green showing, like it's trying, like um, an, an onion trying to sprout, you find some that looks like it's trying to sprout, that's a perfect one to start your 
turmeric plant with. It's buried just a little bit. Uh, it's buried just a little bit below the soil. It'll get these beautiful leaves, and you will have your own turmeric. We uh, oh, someone collecting wildflower seeds. Uh, how do you prepare the fields for your wildflower seeds? Well, if you have wildflower seeds that are already coming up and they bloom and you let the seeds fall to the ground, you'll have them again next year. There's no real prep if you're coming up in where they already are. And if you have them growing somewhere where they're coming up and you see them, look at the soil, look at the conditions they're growing in. They'll tell you where they want to be. Do you want to do the seed in a container? Meaning like you want to start a seed tray? Well, you can, but you want to plant the seed like nature does. Most of the time, the seed just falls on the ground, and it may have the lightest dusting of soil over it. But sometimes some of the wildflowers need to experience a cold period first. Like some of our milkweeds, the uh, seed for the milkweed will have come with instructions, assuming you didn't collect the seed yourself, will come with instructions that tell you you need to keep them in a refrigerator for X number of days before you put them out in the soil to start. You, you wouldn't see that or wouldn't understand that if you were picking them up from the wild. You just know, hey, here's seed for this plant. You may not know that that plant needs that cold period for it to successfully germinate. So you want to do a little research yourself on the plants you're collecting. Because, for example, I have a bunch of Coreopsis coming up. And I know that they'll be laying down seed. But can I capture it and immediately turn around and plant it? Or do I have to let it get really cold first before it'll go ahead and germinate? You're not sure, just looking at the plant. You may, over years, develop some experience with them, but you may want to research the plant itself to see how it's propagated. Let's go to the phone. This is Peter. What can I help you with, Peter? Hello, Jeff. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Hey, uh, yes, quick sir. question. You were talking about shelf life of um, seaweed solution. Now, if you've got a powdered seaweed solution for a soluble seaweed, how what would be the shelf life of the powder? <clears throat> Again, if you're keeping it inside, meaning not out in 110-degree heat, Correct. Uh, there is no reason it shouldn't be usable for five years. Okay. Okay. Very, very good. Very good. Because uh, the bag... You know, I mean, 
use maybe a couple teaspoons that I use during applications in a hose-end sprayer. So, you know, you get a lot of mileage out of this stuff. Yes, you do. I like it because of that. Yes. Throw the bag someplace, and when you need seaweed, just take some out. That's very, I find it very convenient. But it should have about the same shelf life, and it should be safe enough that it is a product you can keep in your home. I wouldn't let little kids get into it because they'll have green stains (laughs) all over themselves, but it it will last a very long time for you. Okay, very good, very good. Yeah, because I got this bag last year, and Mm -hmm. I use it religiously, but a little bit goes a long way. Yes, yes. And uh, it works out very well. Well, Jeff, I sure appreciate your show, and I appreciate your help, and I hope you have a good day. Thank you. You too, Peter. Thanks for the call. Yes, folks, you can, it, technically, all seaweed you buy is powdered seaweed. Well, wait a minute. What's that big, juicy, shake-it-gallon jug? When they collect the seaweed, usually the Norwegian type of seaweed, and they rinse it and they juice it. They don't pour the liquid into the bottles and ship it wherever it's going. It's too heavy that way. All seaweed winds up being powdered. They dry it, you can ship so much more in the same area. They get it here to their facilities in the States and then they add liquid to it and they manipulate it so that it will stay in solution and they add liquid as to whether or not are you making the concentrated version which wouldn't have a lot of water but would be a liquid or are you making ready to use which would have more water in it so it would still be the right amount uh it's a shipping situation it's a lot lighter to ship a container that will make you 10 gallons of liquid seaweed than it is to ship 10 gallons of already liquid seaweed. So the economy works out that technically almost all seaweed is liquid sea is powdered seaweed that winds up being stirred up, mixed up when it gets here. Doesn't change the quality of the product does not change the quality of the product. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. We're up against a break. We'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Um, time to get out there hurry because it will not take long before it's too hot to be outside again and you can come in when it hits that point kick back and relax maybe you go back out later in the evening that's always possible um i can't tell you how many gardeners i know that have one of those led headlamps and go out and and garden in the dark uh it's almost a sport but uh, avoid the heat. You really want to do what you can to avoid the heat. 
it may not be avoidable for a while. We have uh, a heat advisory from 1 p.m. today till sometime late Monday. That's not a good thing. Not a good thing. No rain. We so need that rain. And uh, it's just not going to show up. I don't know what we need to do. I know people are talking about hurricanes in the Pacific, but um, that may or may not send us some rain our way. Uh, let's let's go to the phone. This is Ed. Ed, what can I help you with? Good. Pick up my camper and do five vision tests. Good. Get out of this heat. My epilepsy going wild. Take care. Yeah, I know. I know. You showed me last time. Take care. Ed, are you there? I know. I have eight for Oh, jeez. I have eight for I'd like to give you ten of mine. <laughs> Ed, are you there? Take care of yourself. Well, I guess not. Okay. Uh, Ed, call me back if you want. Um, you were talking to somebody else. Sorry. Now, he's got a comment about Oak Wilt. Uh, not sure what it was. But he was having a conversation with somebody else at the time. Anyway, let's go to, this is Nathan. Nathan, what can I help you with? Yes, sir. Uh, I have a persimmon tree, and I was wondering if a person can pick the green persimmons, and will they ripen? Nope. You need them to get ripe on the tree. And can you plant a ripened persimmon uh, and have it grow? Maybe. Here's the deal. If your persimmon tree is the only tree, there's only one persimmon in the area, it may not make seeds. If there is a second persimmon around, they may make seeds. And you can try to wait till the, almost the end of the season. Hopefully the birds don't take the fruit from you. But you can pick that persimmon and uh, you can try to plant that seed and get it to grow. Understand when you do a persimmon, when you do pretty much any fruit tree from seed, uh, it could be 10 to 15 years before it would ever produce a fruit. Most of the fruit trees we get are grafted, meaning they were already growing and they'll produce fruit sooner. But uh, if you try to produce one from seed, depending on your age, you may never see it produce a fruit. <laughs> Okay, well, I guess that's taking care of that question, then. 
it's cool to do if if you pop a seed out of a persimmon and it's uh, vital and it's you know uh, a fertile seed. It's cool to start a tree that way. You just have to understand don't don't bet on fruit production for quite a while. Um, okay. Uh, well, we'll take that into consideration. Got it. Well, uh, enjoy the day, Nathan. Thanks for the call. Thank you very much. Let's go back. Okay, Ed's back. Ed, what can I help you with? I have a neighbor that's got a dead oak tree that died very quickly, and we have a huge 300-year-old oak, maybe 60 to 80 feet away from it, fence with a fence in between. What are my options? First off, it is worth your while to get somebody to confirm what killed the oak. It could have been oak wilt is prevalent in our area. There's also a disease called oak hypoxia. That's not a good one either. Both of them can kill the tree rapidly. Number two, if you find out it was oak wilt, I will bet you your 300-year-old one has probably already been exposed because oak wilt can be passed from root to root. And that fence is above the ground. That fence is not stopping roots. So it's possible they've already infected each other. That's why it's yeah, we had, really important, we had, important to find out what it was. We've had six six of the oak trees on the property that have been removed because of oak wilt, and we get and we used Alamo on this one and a couple others because the arborist said we could probably save this one, and that was probably close to ten years ago. So. <clears throat> Is, is Alamo so still the product of choice? It's the one that's used, but I would, if I'm going to use it and it's not cheap, I'm going to want someone to show me a tree that has been treated with it and how long it has still been alive. Because there's some argument that Alamo simply extends the life and doesn't actually cure the disease. I get arborists scream at me when I make that comment. But again, I've had one arborist tell me it has to be at the proper time. It has to be done early. It has to be uh, done the proper way, et cetera, et cetera. And it can make a long-term solution. But many times, you're simply delaying the inevitable. Okay. Does trenching along that fence line have any impact? If, the if it has been the other side is Well, if the tree on the other side had oak wilt and is already dead, it's possible that they've already joined their roots together. You would need to talk to an arborist about whether or not it's still worthwhile to trench because that's kind of an extensive operation, to say the least. Um, Ed, I don't appreciate your situation. I mean, I am really sorry. It's tough. But you need an arborist to come in there and give you a good conversation about this. 
Um, I wish you luck on maintaining the tree, but this Thank is a, a, there are a couple of terrible diseases here. Focus is turning naturally. We're going to break for the news at the top of the hour. I'll catch you on the other side.